Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 6 What must have been moments after second shift ended, Griffith arrived at Adequin's door with the bottle of Malila whiskey in hand. They proceeded to put away half of it during the evening's events, discussing the last batch of much-delayed headlines that came in from the Corps, watching a bootleg film she'd confiscated from an Oculus's bunk, and playing over an hour's worth of poker at which she'd handily destroyed him. Now she sat on the stiff couch in her quarters, wallowing in the warmth of an oversized gray Titan sweatshirt while Griffith lay on the floor beside the couch. Adequin tucked her legs up underneath her and nursed the remainder of the whiskey in her glass. More? Griffith waved the bottle at her. No way, Centurion. Are you trying to kill me? He grinned, his cheeks flushed with slight intoxication. We should probably stop, she said. You have to captain a ship in a few hours. Yeah, yeah. The thing basically flies itself. Speaking of, you wanted to finish talking about crew evals? She spun the last few sips around in her glass, then took another drink. No, I wanted to talk about stepping down. The swig of whiskey stalled at the back of Adequin's throat, and she almost choked. It blazed a fiery path into her stomach before she managed to croak out a wheezing, excuse me? Relax he said, amusement creasing the corner of his eyes. Not from service, just from my post. From the Argus? The Tempest. What? she asked, shaking her head. This was not a topic they'd discussed before, and the suggestion more than surprised her. He kept his gaze locked on her. Remember what you said yesterday, that it had only been ten months before we're the same age. Ten years, yeah. She upended her glass and finished the remainder of her whiskey. Only a joke, Griff. Forty-two's not old. No, I mean, every month I'm gone, you get a year older? That's terrifying. She scoffed and smiled. What, you don't think I'll age well? She set down her empty glass to pat her face and primp her hair. He smiled up at her, but the amusement soon faded into a somber frown. She took a minute to assess his seriousness, then slid off the couch to sit on the dark gray carpet beside him. Step down, she asked. You love traveling the divide. He turned onto his side and propped his head up with one arm. Love's a stretch, let's be honest, he said, tone weary. It was exhilarating for a while, sure. And after they scrubbed the charting missions, certainly the next best option. But now, I think I'd be better off here, training soldiers. I'm not getting any younger. You mean you're not getting any older? It came out far more defeatist than she'd meant it. He smiled anyway, but it fell away as quickly as it had appeared. Pushing out a long breath, she lay on her side to face him, head propped up on her arm. She searched his tired eyes for some indication of what he was getting at. What's this really about? 
Life moves too fast while I'm gone. I feel like I'm missing a lot. Things change too quickly. She scoffed. Nothing's ever different on the Argus, trust me. You seem different. Did something happen? She shook her head. Six months happened, Griff. Right. He let out a small sigh. I've never been on the other end of it. It's hard for me to conceptualize the time difference. I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? It's your assignment, your duty. Because it's hard on you, I can tell. Every time I'm back, you're a little more tired, a little more weary. I'm fine, a little more jaded. You're not the same fierce queen you were when I first left. I know, she admitted. Life on the Argus isn't great, and having you gone hasn't made it easier. But I don't know what you want me to say. Like you said, we can't conceptualize life the same way. We live in two different time zones, literally. He lifted his hand to the side of her face. Her cheeks warmed as he ran his thumb along her cheekbone, more familiar than she expected from her old friend. That's what I'm saying, Moacare, he said, his voice a low rumble. I don't want it to be that way anymore. Her pulse beat up into her throat as he leaned closer, pressing his forehead to hers, his breath smelling of the honeyed whiskey. I don't want you to grow old without me. It took her brain a few seconds to process his roundabout double negative. Griff. Her breath left her as he pressed his lips to hers. On instinct, her muscles tensed, but loosened just as quickly along with a wash of warmth down her back. She edged closer, and he wrapped his arm around her, drawing her into him. Tilting her head, she paused to catch her breath. Her skin tingled as she inhaled his warm, leathery scent. Though she hadn't expected the night to take a turn quite like this, she couldn't say the thought had never crossed her mind. But he'd been gone for so many years now, she'd grown used to a life only occasionally punctuated by Griffith. She'd never considered he might someday return to stay. The thought alone stirred a sharp ache deep in her stomach. I don't want that either, she said. His chest deflated, worry creasing his forehead. She shook her head and tightened her arms around his waist. To grow old without you, I mean. Relief smoothed his brow, and he leaned closer again. I don't want to leave again, he said quietly. I should file my formal withdrawal now. She shook her head. I don't want you to quit the Tempest because of me. We can make the time difference work. No, we can't. Look how long it took us to get this far. You forget what life is like here, Griff. It's hard and boring and very uneventful. So's the Tempest. We just happen to be flying while everything is hard, boring, and uneventful. Adequin let out a long sigh. You really need to think this through. I want you to do this for the right reasons. You are the right reasons, Moacare. The only reason worth doing anything. He patiently awaited her response, his warm eyes steady, earnest. 
he wasn't going to change his mind. All right, she said finally, but you'll need to train your replacement. We can delay a day and I can do that while we're docked. That's definitely not protocol. His arm tightened around her back and he pulled her closer. To the void with protocol, even two weeks is far too long to be away from you. Since when? He chuckled. Since right the fuck now. Yura's ready, has been for weeks. That's great, but you can't just throw command of a ship at her with no warning. You still have to do a check ride. Fine, one more trip. He pressed his forehead to hers and their eyelashes grazed each other's as she blinked at him. She cleared her throat. You mean, yes, sir. He pinned her hip to the floor with one hand, then tucked the other into her armpit and tickled her. Briefly overcome with giggling, she then got distracted trying to remember the last time she'd giggled. He relented and kissed her forehead. Soothing, tingling waves flowed along her frayed nerves. This is fraternization, she said. I'm going to have to report you to my CO. His deep laugh rumbled in her chest. He gripped her waist and laid her back onto the ground, then braced on one arm to hover over her, his warmth enveloping her like a heavy blanket. His dog tags clinked together as they fell out from under his shirt, the cold metal and glass grazing the side of her neck. You're the EX, he said, his voice low and serious despite his grin. You don't have a CO. Not aboard this vessel, maybe. He cut her off with another kiss, fiercer this time, sending her heart racing. His tongue found hers and their lips closed in on each other as three years, three months of pent up desire let loose. Adequin drifted slowly out of a deep, restful sleep. It took her a few long, wandering moments to realize what had woken her, her wrist vibrating as her nexus hummed with a silent notification. Griffith's slow exhales warmed the back of her neck, his arm draped heavy over her waist. It took a concerted effort of will to slide out from under its warmth. She shifted to the edge of the bed and sat up, swiping the notification open. The crew evaluations report reminder she'd snoozed earlier. She dismissed it with a sigh, then rubbed the heels of her palms deep into her dry eyes. The bed shifted and Griffith let out a soft yawn. Everything okay? His hand trailed down her back. Nodding, she slid her nexus band off and tossed it on the bedside table. She turned and lay back down under the sheets to face him. Fine, it was nothing. He laid his arm over her shoulder, shifting toward her. Tell me you don't normally get up at this time of night and work. Not usually, no. You work yourself too hard, Quinn. I don't mind having things to do. I need it that way. I know, he whispered, then kissed her forehead lightly. So, she began, sliding closer. How long have you been lying to me? His brow furrowed. What? Pretending not to have feelings for me. He smiled. Oh, 
Uh, I'm not sure I've done a very good job of pretending for quite some time. The way Lace acts, you'd think we'd been dancing around it for years. Is that what she's been giving you grief about? She knows? Yeah. Hard to keep something like that from someone who's known you half your life. She probably knew before I even did. And when was that? Since well before we came to the Argus. Hell, practically since we met. She bit down on the inside of her lip. Really? That long? Yeah, that long. He let out a weighted sigh. Back when I joined the Titans, well, you weren't with us at first, but you know how it was. After Redcliffe, they were throwing commendations at me. Then I finally gave in and came over from the Vanguard. Back when Titans and Vanguards could still be in the same room without killing one another? Right, before we stole their war. His lips tilted in a smirk. Your fault, by the way. I'm aware, but this isn't about me. He nodded. I don't know if you remember, but for those first few years, they couldn't stop talking about everything that happened at Redcliffe. They all acted like I was some divine gift to the Legion. Yeah, I remember, she said quietly. As a vanguard, Griffith had been part of one of the first offenses against the new Viator threat. Named after the cavernous gulch the worst of it had taken place in, Redcliffe. It had gone the true definition of SGL when shitty intel led them straight into a trap. As second in command, when Griffith's CO died, the responsibility had fallen on him to get the company out. He'd managed to save dozens of vanguards in a situation in which, by all rights, every one of them should have died. Only a few weeks later, Lujan recruited him into the Titans, where his new comrades had been privy to every detail of the op and had just enough time to deify him before his arrival. From the moment Adequin arrived, the strange power dynamic had been obvious. They were all the same rank, all Dexteras, but the others treated Griffith differently. They made him their liaison to upper brass, asked his permission for things he had no authority to grant or deny, and readily deferred to his opinions on the ground. They'd put themselves a class below, which had left him alone. Adequin had seemed the only one unaffected by it. Coming straight from a Delta-grade infantry unit into spec ops training, she hadn't had the same access to reliable gossip, so it had taken her time to piece together what Griffith had done and why they were acting that way. Even after she found out, she'd been the only one that treated him like any other colleague. An experienced teammate, someone to learn from, certainly, but still a peer. It was still in full swing when I got there, she said. They were trying really hard to give you a hero complex. Right, but you knew the truth of it, he said, that I'd merely been the next person in line to take up the mantle. I'd followed protocol, used my training, and did what I thought would save the most lives. You were the first person I'd met who didn't either despise me or revere me for it. A single act can't define someone, good or bad. See, it's that. She raised a brow. What is what? That even-keeled wisdom, way beyond your years. 
He pushed a strand of hair off her forehead. But I know most of those years were heavy. A lump built at the back of her throat, but she mustered an appreciative smile. Even if I didn't internalize it back then, he continued. I think that's when I knew we could be more. Or, I guess, that I might want to be more to you someday. That was almost ten years ago. Why didn't you say anything sooner? I don't know. I'm a lot older than you for one. He rolled his eyes. Whatever, that's a shit excuse. She laughed. Yeah, it's a shit excuse. Especially since you've already closed the gap by three years. There was just always a damn war on, he said. Voice low and steady. Then after Paxis, I didn't know if you'd be ready to hear it. Maybe not, she conceded. But that was still five years ago. Only two for me. Right. Honestly, he began, sidling closer again. It's always been fear. Afraid if I told you, you wouldn't want me back, and I'd scare you off, that I'd lose you. She leaned in and lightly kissed his bottom lip. He held his breath. You're a centurion, she said, the most lauded vanguard of our era, and as a titan, part of one of the most successful spec ops task forces of the last two centuries, but not brave enough to tell a woman how you feel about her? Not just any woman. Oh, geez, she said with a hiss and a grin. Feeling pretty smooth tonight, huh, Griff? He smiled, then kissed her forehead lightly. We can still get a couple of hours of sleep before I have to go. Just sleep, she asked, biting her lip and smiling. A wolfish grin spread across his face. Who's fraternizing now? He locked both of his thick arms around her and pulled her into a deep kiss. Adequin was sure there was no worse sight in the universe than Griffith standing by her door with a packed bag slung over his shoulder. How she'd put up with it for three years, she didn't know. He swept some loose strands of hair behind her ear. You gonna be here when I get back? Where else would I be? Honestly, Every time I step off that ship, I'm surprised you're still here. She scoffed. This is my post, Griff. He didn't immediately respond, taking a minute to regard her seriously. Your punishment ended a long time ago, or the Legion issued one at least. What's that supposed to mean? You don't have to martyr yourself. What happened, happened. It's over. Her eyes sharpened, cutting him off mid-sentence. His jaw flexed, but he didn't continue. Griffith was the only person on the Argus, and one of the only people in existence who knew why she was there. And he knew far better than to bring it up. Am I a bad EX, Griff? Do I not have anything to offer the Sentinels? He shook his head, grim solace in his eyes. I think your talent's being wasted sitting on the edge of the universe, waiting for nothing to happen. You think they wouldn't jump at the chance to have you on the front lines again? Front lines of what? War's over. They'd give you whatever job you want. 
I'm sure they'd love to plaster you on their recruitment posters. I'm sure they would. Just think about it, okay? We can talk to Lujan, get stationed anywhere. You don't have to stay on the Argus, Griff. As long as you are here, I'm here. He lowered his voice. I didn't leave you on Paxus. I'm sure as hell not gonna leave you now. You're about to leave, literally right now. Hey, I'm just following your orders. He smiled, then wrapped his arms around her. He pressed his lips to her forehead, and his beard scratched her skin as he spoke. Last time, six months. It'll make me that much less of a cradle robber when I get back. She laughed, though it didn't lessen the sharp tightness in her chest. We've been through way worse shit than the divide, Moacare, he said. We got this. She pressed her face into his chest and quietly murmured, Avitus Fortis. Avitus Fortis, he echoed. He kissed her one last time, then inhaled sharply and turned away. The door slid open and he stepped into the barren corridor. She leaned in the doorway as he strode down the hall. He turned back and smiled, the corners of his eyes wrinkling in that endearing way that made her stomach flutter. I'm sorry I wasn't brave enough to tell you before, he called back. We'll make up for it in six months. Two weeks, she said. He laughed, then turned away and disappeared around the corner. Chapter seven. Adequin's whiskey buzz had almost worn off, and she felt jittery and anxious for reasons she couldn't put her finger on. So she showered, dressed, and headed for the bridge. Though she wouldn't say she relished her time there during working hours, she found it a peaceful kind of calm in the dead of night. She'd spent a fair share of evenings reading her way through the old weapons systems manuals. She enjoyed visualizing how the dreadnought used to function 200 years ago, when it had still been the SCS Rivalis. The bridge was in low-light mode when she arrived, three small, harsh lamps spotlighting down from the high ceilings. To her surprise, Jackin stood under one of the pools of light. He faced away from her, leaning on his terminal with clenched fists, head hung low. Jack, what are you doing here so late? She stopped and rested her hands on the back of the captain's chair. He remained silent for a few moments, then raised his gaze to the large view screen. Did Bach get on his way? He asked, tone flat, almost autonomous. Adequin narrowed her eyes, not used to this kind of mood from her second in command. Yeah, they're off, she said carefully. Maybe Jackin had caught on that something was going on between her and Griffith, but the two men had always gotten along well. They were friends, as far as she knew. She didn't know what reason Jackin would have for this kind of despondency toward him. The Tempest hasn't responded to my hails. Adequin withheld a scoff. You know how well comms work near the Divide. Why are you hailing them? His eyes didn't stray from the view screen, didn't blink. I'd wanted them to do some measurements on their way out, but now I think I might want them to turn back. 
she laughed. Turn back. What are you on about, Optio? He finally broke his gaze to look down at his terminal. I checked it. I double-checked. I triple-checked. I checked it. His fingers flew through his holographic display, flipping dozens of numbers onto a main dock at the top of the interface. Forty-nine times. He turned to look at her, his light brown skin gone sallow with shadowed bags encircling red, bloodshot eyes. Think the fiftieth time's a charm. Any humor she'd reserved in defense of Jackin's strange mood fell away. She marched down the steps to stand beside him, locking her eyes onto his. For what? What's going on, Jack? We haven't drifted outward. He shook his head. We haven't moved, not 50 meters, not a meter, not a single millimeter. It has to be the sensors. It's not the sensors. That's not possible. You're saying there's less space between us and the divide, so we can't have not moved. We can, he said. How? If it's gotten closer to us. Right, but you just said we haven't moved. He didn't respond, and his dark brown eyes didn't flicker. Her heart raced, and she swallowed hard, struggling to ignore what her subconscious tried to tell her. Get there yet? He asked. She gave a short, stilted laugh. Be serious, Jack. I'm being dead serious, boss. Have there been any notifications from the other Sentinel ships? Even if signals were getting through, no one sits nearly as close as we do. Okay, well... She looked down at his terminal, the display showing a collection of coordinates and numbers she couldn't interpret. She looked up at the view screen, the same display of absolute black it had always shown. She took a deep breath. This was just a task, like anything else, a job to be done. What did they need to accomplish the mission? Step one, before all else, would be to figure out what they were actually dealing with. The implication of this could not be taken lightly. They would need to test Jackin's findings and confirm the data before they could start throwing around unsubstantiated theories. What do you need to get the proper measurements? She asked. Something better than a buoy? I'll put in a request for- When are you going to stop asking for stuff that'll never come? His dark brows sunk as his eyes narrowed at her. When was the last time the Legion granted you a special request? You think they give a shit if we're swallowed up by the divide? Whoa, slow down. The signs were all there, he said, shaking his head in disbelief. We've been riding the thrusters for weeks. The Tempest arrived three minutes early, then entered comms blackout a full 12 minutes earlier than it should have. There are many factors that could play into all of those things. His eyes grew wide, equal parts fascinated and terrified. Do you know what this could mean, Rake? His mouth opened as he dragged his fingers down his cheeks and through his beard. Could is the operative word, Jack. We need to confirm you know how it used to be, right? The universe was expanding. Of course, she breathed, like a million years ago. Then it stopped. 
He slid down the steps to the foot of the viewscreen, looking up at it in reverence, as if the screen itself were some fearsome, impervious foe. Do you think this is how they felt when they found out? A chill ran up Adequin's spine. Probably not. Jackin answered himself, then began to chuckle. Stopping in its tracks is one thing. About facing's a whole different kind of formidable. His chuckle morphed into a full laugh. Optio, get a hold of yourself, she demanded. Her tone carried an impatient firmness she generally reserved for only the most unruly of soldiers. He ignored her and continued to laugh up at the screen. She descended the steps toward him two at a time, then took him by the shoulders to force him to look at her. Jackin. His smile faded, and the deranged fervor fell away from his eyes. He looked at his feet. Sorry, boss. It's fine. She dropped her hands from his shoulders. How far do your readings say it's moved? It's hard to tell exactly. I'd say 15 or 20 kilometers, give or take. Can you think of anything else that might be causing the readings you're seeing? He shook his head slowly, running a hand down the side of his face. We've eliminated sensor error, right? She asked. Right, a few dozen times over. Griffith mentioned density fluctuations while riding it. Could it be a bad flare-up making it seem like it's closer? No, those fluctuations might have an impact on the ships traveling on it, but they're nominal compared to the overall structure. We'd never see those kinds of readings from here. Okay, she said, crossing her arms. What are we missing? What other phenomenon could it be? No, this isn't theoretical, boss, he said, tone suddenly firm, all traces of his former shock replaced with sound assuredness. I've checked it all, again and again. I just didn't realize what all the individual pieces meant until I looked at them as a whole. His gaze drifted down, and he let out a long sigh. Until I took the laws of the universe out of my assumption. It's moving toward us, that's a fact. Adequin's heart kicked against her ribs, and she took a second to steady herself before responding. Well, here's another fact. It's still well over a million clicks away, and we've, it's moved only a few kilometers. We have time to figure things out. I don't want to start telling people until we have to, but we can bring Mesa and some other brains in on it tomorrow if we need to. For now, I want you to get some rest. That's an order. He nodded, then slowly ascended the steps toward the door. Jack, she said. He stopped to look back at her. Don't tell anyone about this, understood? Understood. Jackin disappeared into the dark hallway. Adequin looked at the viewscreen to find the same field of solid black. If they'd already lost visual of the Tempest's engines, they would soon be out of theoretical radio range. Not that the damn things ever worked anyway. She climbed the steps to the communications terminal, sat down, and swept the interface open. She cleared her throat and opened the channel. SCS Tempest. This is the SCS Argus, hailing on high-priority Legion 10 band. Please respond. She waited in silence, 
then expanded the frequency selection screen. Tempus, this is the Argus. I'm opening to wideband, broadcasting across all channels unencrypted. Please respond. She chewed her lip. Tempus, this is the Argus. Please be advised. Optio is recommending Tempus return to dock immediately. She waited. Tempus, please respond. Only static came back. She took a shallow, sharp breath. Griff. The light in her periphery bloomed as her unblinking eyes focused on the pitch darkness of the void before her. She cleared her throat, forcing strength back into her voice. SCS Tempus, this is the Argus, hailing on all frequencies. Chapter 8 Five years ago, and 93 million light years inward, Dextera Adequin Rake sits across a polished mahogany desk from the commander of the first, Praetor Renneth Lugin. A single sheet of paper crinkles in the Praetor's hand. He looks up from it, narrow face drawn tight across sharp cheekbones. He waits for her response. Without us, you will perish, she says. That's all they said. Yes, sir. He folds the paper in half and leans back. He looks out the slatted floor-to-ceiling window, and the honeyed glow of the setting sun warms his pallid complexion. Who else knows about this? For the first time in her career, she lies. No one, sir. You expect me to believe you killed your way through ten kilometers of Viator and Drudger forces, up a mountain, he points upward with an incredulous finger. Without any backup? I'm a titan, sir. That's true, and it's not that I don't believe you're capable of it, but I happen to know you flew a Levate cruiser off that planet. She doesn't waver, she says nothing. Which takes two to fly. She wavers, she's a terrible liar. I'm sorry, sir. Your comrades are safe, I assure you, but I need to know who was there so I can mitigate the damage. She considers lying, naming someone else, not implicating Griffith. But she can't, and he wouldn't want her to. Bach, sir. Is that all? Yes, sir. Thank you. A drawer creaks open. He lights a match and burns the paper. They watch in silence as it's reduced to a pile of smoldering embers and ash atop his opulent desk. He looks up at her. You've been granted the rank of exuberer and all the rights and responsibilities the title carries. Her heart stops. She expected to be court-martialed, hanged, drowned, thrown from a dropship in Atmo, ejected out an airlock, publicly shamed, publicly executed, not promoted. Exhibitor? That's... Her fingers twitch as she tallies the ranks mentally. Four ranks? Yes, it is. I don't understand, sir. The events which occurred on Sol Date 219-41AV have been classified Cassius Level Alpha. You will never speak of the events to fellow members of the Titans, Legion officers, or enlisted of any rank, 
civilians, or any sentient life form or artificial intelligence, at risk of high treason. Understood? She opens her mouth to respond, but nothing comes out. Why isn't she being punished? Her eyes drift to the glittering badges of rank pinned to his chest, and it hits her. It's obvious. She's thinking like a guilty soldier. They're thinking strategically, politically, public-facing. Formally punishing her would be a matter of public record. The citizens would want to know why. They'd want to know about the mission, what had really happened. Understood, sir. You're being assigned to the SCS Argus, effective immediately. She refocuses her eyes. Yes, sir. She doesn't know what that means, doesn't know what the Argus is. She doesn't care. The Praetor seems to glow for a moment, and his edges ripple away from him as he continues to speak. He begins to outline what will be expected of her on the Argus. She half listens as his form wavers, then flickers in and out of existence. Her heart races. She stands in the hallway outside his office. At the end of the long, wide corridor, two armed guards await. They are there to escort her to her new assignment. As she crosses the navy-carpeted expanse toward them, her attention is drawn to a vid screen recessed in the wall. It's playing a live newscast, but it can't be right. The screen shows the symbol of the Titans and a caption that reads, Titan forces eliminate final Viator threat. Behind the text, video loops of citizens celebrating in the streets of Elysia, Viridis, Caudus Prime. Text scrolls below it. The resurgence war comes to a close with confirmation from Legion officials that the last of the hidden Viator cohorts, along with the remaining breeders, have been executed on Paxus, under the command of the First and the Titans, helmed by Praetor Reneth Lugin. Her chest constricts, her jaw tightens. Lugin had gone a step further than she'd thought. He hadn't swept it under the rug. He'd called the mission a success. He'd lied. Then she sits atop the SCS Argus, legs folded beneath her. The divide stretches out before her, infinite in its blackness. It can't speak. That'd be ridiculous. It says, Avidus Fortis. And the words resonate in her chest like a bell being tolled. Warmth blooms, and she feels a camaraderie with the edge of the universe. Hull lights that don't exist flash, blue and red, blue and red. Sound that can't exist in the vacuum of space blasts against her eardrums. It's the Argus's proximity alarm. Enemy ships are incoming. She stands to find the interlopers, to meet them head on. She turns her back on the divide and faces inward toward the light of the universe. Billions upon billions of stars blind her. Adequin's eyes slid open. Silence filled her cabin, save the quiet beeping notification on the holographic display on her bedside table. She rubbed the sleep from her eyes and turned to expand it. It was a request from Jackin to report to the bridge immediately. The door opened and Cavalon Mercer rushed inside, 
He wore a standard white space suit with the sleeves pushed up, a helmet tucked under one arm. Adequin bolted upright in bed as he turned panicked eyes onto her. What are you doing? He demanded. You cannot be sleeping. Really? Her mouth gaped open and she snatched the sheet to cover herself, instinctively gathering it around her. When she looked down, she realized she'd slept in her clothes from the previous day. She threw the sheet aside and stood. Oculus, are you fucking kidding me? He stepped toward her, extending his open palm. His gold and bronze royal imprint tattoos slid frantically around his forearm. This isn't really the time for a noble act of selflessness. You need to get on that ship, now, whether you want to or not. Adequin pressed her fingers deep into her temples. She thought she'd woken up, but she must still be. Cavallon grabbed her by the arm, not painful, but still fierce. Her skin pinched under his touch. It didn't feel like a dream. Her tattoos rushed down her arm, and she shoved Cavallon away with a surge of imprint-assisted force. He stumbled back. Damn it, Rake, we have to go, he yelled. Shocked by his temerity, she didn't know how to respond. His blue eyes narrowed. He reached for her again, but his form shifted and cracked, then peeled away as he disappeared out of existence. Silence filled the cabin. The door opened and Cavallon rushed in again. What are you doing? He yelled. He reached his open palm toward her. Then his edges splintered and he disappeared. She gaped at the door, but it didn't slide open again. What the fuck? Adequin inhaled slowly and tried to calm her nerves. That had easily been the most intense ripple she'd ever experienced. Her mind raced as she tried to determine how that situation could ever come to pass. She took a deep breath and thought about what Griffith had told her about time anomalies. The crew of the Tempest were experts at dealing with them, after all, for in the interim time spent getting from the Divide to the Argus and back, they were inundated with the same phenomenon. The general notion was they meant nothing. They were a fabrication, aberrations of the potential of the future, and they certainly did not always come true. The more recent the ripple, the more likely it would come to pass, the fewer factors that could change the outcome. That bratty royal barging into her quarters implied a familiarity she couldn't fathom in the near or even distant future, so she pushed the incident from her mind because it meant nothing. She quickly changed, then left her quarters and headed for the bridge. Soldiers milled about in the corridors, some dealing with nearby doppelgangers, others clumped in groups sharing stories of strange interactions with the future. Apparently, it had been going on all night. They snapped to attention as she passed, or dispersed to return to their tasks. She didn't bother to reprimand them, focusing solely on getting to the bridge as quickly as possible without actually running. The bridge door opened before her, and Jackin looked up from his terminal, panic lining his eyes. The rest of the crew sat at their stations, quietly working, giving furtive glances to nearby duplicates. Adequin strode past the captain's chair and down the short flight of stairs. Good to see you, boss, Jackin whispered, eyes darting to the crew members closest to them. 
I've been riding the thrusters all morning to get us back in line, but they're so fucking slow. Can't you set it to adjust automatically? Maintain the proper position? I could write new code for that, yeah, but I don't have time. I have to make constant adjustments. He glanced back nervously at the crew. And I can't exactly ask someone else to do it since I was ordered to keep it quiet. She leaned closer and spoke as quietly as she could. Forget keeping our position, just crank up the thrusters. If we end up farther from it than we were, then oh well, just get us away from it. Copy, boss. He leaned back over the terminal and got to work. Exubiter. An ethereal voice wafted down from the top of the bridge. Adequin turned to find Mesa standing behind the captain's chair, thin fingers drumming lightly across the back. Adequin gripped Jackin's shoulder, then climbed the steps toward the savant. I had to eat breakfast with myself this morning. Mesa's eyes sparkled with amusement. What is going on? Just drifted a bit outward. Mesa looked over her shoulder. Cavallon stood with his mop in one hand, grinning at his future self, who also beamed with amusement. They lifted their mops in unison, attempting to mime one another. Mesa swung her gaze back to Adequin, who turned to exchange a worried glance with Jackin. They were going to have to tell people sooner or later. They were only going to believe they'd accidentally drifted so many times. I'll admit, Adequin said. The ripples have been a bit more frequent of late. It is really more of a reflection. Mesa's tone shifted into one Adequin recognized well, one that more or less added the prefix for your information to everything she said. Mesa pressed her hands together and continued. Ripple implies a degree of fluidity to time that suggests layered, concurrent dimensions acting in parallel to lead us toward a preconceived future, none of which has ever been substantiated. Even ancient Viator texts had very little information on tempology. You know, Exubiter, we are in an optimal location for data gathering as the closest vessel to the divide. Adequin nodded along as the savant continued. Mesa had no idea how accurate that statement was at the moment. Aberration, maybe. Regardless, Ripple is wholly inaccurate. Yeah, I know, Mesa. It's just what we call it. I know, Exupiter. Did you need something? Mesa's brows lifted. Of course. The roster lists an oculus who has studied astrophysics, specializing in propulsion theory, but their name has been redacted. I would like to request him or her to assist on a project. You want them to join the research team? For a time. If they are a good fit, I would consider a long-term arrangement. Can you point me to them? Uh... Adequin nodded over Mesa's shoulder. Mesa looked back at Cavallon, now engaged in a mop-stick duel with his doppelganger. She watched him fight himself for a few silent moments, then blew out a long breath as she turned back to Adequin. I can see you are quite busy. I will leave you to your work. Adequin laughed. If you need him, Mace, he's all yours. But be wary, he's a handful. Mesa sauntered away and murmured, I believe you. Adequin looked over at the new recruit and narrowed her eyes. Cavallon, she barked. 
To her surprise, both versions of him snapped to attention immediately. Sir. She didn't know which was real until the one on the right flickered. After a few moments, the duplicate disappeared, and a wave of relief washed over the bridge as more and more ripples subsided. How's that cleaning going, recruit? She asked. Sorry, sir. Cavallon's downcast eyes suggested guilt, though his drawn brow made her think he was a little mad. At himself, she hoped. At least he seemed to be trying to straighten out, even if he was bad at it. Just get to work, please. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. He refocused his glower on the floor and began to furiously mop. Jackin climbed the steps toward her two at a time. All good, boss. Good. Let's go, uh, have a chat. Jackin followed her down the corridor to her office. They didn't bother to sit, merely stepping inside far enough for the door to close behind them. Adequin crossed her arms. Long-term plan? He mirrored her, crossing his arms and facing her squarely. I'm ready, hit me. She shook her head. No, you hit me, Jack. I got nothing, boss. I need you to have something. I don't know what you want me to have. She exhaled sharply. Well, we've clearly got to get farther out of range than the thrusters can move us. How can we retreat at a quicker rate? No idea. What about the jump drive? I know it's been decommissioned, but we have some people that might know their way around one. That new recruits studied astromech and propulsion. Jackin shook his head. Even if there was a star out here to charge it, they pulled the primary components clean out and put them in some other ship. Seriously? No engine at all anymore? Nope. It used to be where Novum Sector is now. Void. They really didn't want us going anywhere, did they? She sighed. How'd I go five years without knowing that? He shrugged. Like you said, you're not really a ship captain. Maybe we just need to tell the Legion what's going on. Get a team out here to study it. Help us figure out the best way to handle it. He scoffed. Even if they believe us, and even if we get them to send support to help figure this all out, fastest it'll get here is a month. Admittedly not ideal, but so what? We don't have a month before. She stared at his dark brown eyes until the full reality of his seriousness sunk in. Before what? Before we all get to find out if there really is anything on the other side of the divide. Is it speeding up? Sure seems that way. I lined up all the data and I've been trying all morning to figure out a timeline. But besides the constant interference plaguing our instruments, it's the same problem as always. Nothing to orient us. I can't tell where we are versus where we were, other than how far our sensors seem to think we've moved. But they're just as in the dark as I am. No pun intended. Honestly, I don't even know if the thrusters are staying ahead of it at this point. Okay, forget the measurements. She rounded her desk and opened her terminal. Let's get everyone safe, then worry about what's really going on. I'm going to send a priority message to HQ. She slid open the comms interface and a red warning symbol floated to the top of her display. She glanced at Jackin. 
It says link with Karin Gate can't be established. Void. He pressed his fingers to his temples. We've moved far enough at this point. We might have drifted out of range of the comm relay. Can we realign, widen, or boost our signal somehow? He ran an anxious hand through his hair. I could try some things, I guess. Recalibrate the sensor array, maybe. Do you think it'd work? Honestly, no. She pinched the bridge of her nose. Okay, what about a Hermes? Not sure now's the time to go off on a charting mission, boss. Void, Jack, she said with a glare. I mean, could we use a Hermes to travel to Karengate, send a message directly from there? Well, sure, except it'd take like 14 weeks to get there. Not at warp speed. The Legion doesn't give us warp cores with the Hermes, you know that. I've got a warp core. Jackin laughed. The fuck you do? She maintained her level stare. Jackin's eyebrows shot up. Damn, really, boss? Why didn't you tell me? It's classified. It was the first thing I requested when I got here. Really? Well, yeah, it's not safe to leave 200 people stranded in space with no FTL capabilities and shitty comms. You think? Jackin said dryly, then shifted his weight and crossed his arms. Okay, show me this warp core. They left her office to the amidship vestibule, then took a lift to the hangar, turning down a barren corridor lined with doors leading to unused storage facilities. Adequin pressed her thumb into the control panel beside one of the doorways. It confirmed her identity and the door opened. A single aerosteel case sat in the corner of the room. That's it, she said. It's the only thing I asked for they ever actually granted. It took them 18 months, but they sent it eventually. Jackin knelt beside the case and opened it. He reached in and pulled the core out, a sleek metal canister the length of his forearm. Three long, narrow glass panes revealed the core's contents, a white-blue glow emanating from within. Jackin turned it over in his hands, squinting and leaning closer. One problem, boss. What? This guy's almost entirely depleted. She knelt beside him. What? Shit, how? It's only a couple of years old. It probably came that way, Jackin grumbled. They probably grabbed the shittiest one in the warehouse and shipped it off without even looking at it. She frowned as she rubbed the back of her neck. Can we refill it? Jackin leveled an incredulous look at her. How would we go about that? It needs asium, right? What do we have that uses asium? Fuck, well, Jackin stammered. I don't know, but even if we had some, without a fueling station, how do we get it into this thing? I don't know, Optio, that's your area of expertise. I'm a pilot, and I know the ship's systems, but I'm no astromechanic. Put power in this, and I can make it go. But how the power gets in it to begin with is beyond me. She bit the inside of her lip, dreading her coming statement. I think I know someone who might be able to help. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. 
Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.